0: Our Father, we thank you that you provide so richly, Lord, uh, such that from the things that you have given to us, we can now uh, give back to you, Lord. We ask for the extension of your kingdom through these gifts. We pray that you would be glorified, Lord, uh, by this uh, token of our joy and our gratitude for grace. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, would you work uh, both in me as the speaker and in us as the hearers, Lord? Help us to come under the authority, the power of your spirit through your word, and to be truly transformed by the beauty of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're in a series in the book of Esther, but I thought it'd be appropriate since uh, the people in Esther's time are exiles spread throughout all of the land of Medo-Persia, and they're living under a a day of execution that is coming and a a, a false report has actually been spread about them. I wanted to uh, speak a little bit about the nature of Christian suffering and to uh, prepare us and to help us be oriented in how to suffer as a Christian. We're still going to uh, finish out our series in the book of Esther. I thought this would be a good time to pause, to, to teach us how to prepare ourselves for the day of uh, of different kinds of trials that the Lord sends into our life. So first, Peter chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will we become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let's ask for God's blessing on this word. Father, it's a difficult topic to speak uh, honestly and simply and truthfully about. Suffering, Lord. It's easy to trivialize or uh, to miss the glories of this passage. And so I pray, Lord, that you would work supernaturally uh, beyond uh, my ability, Lord, in the hearts of your people to see Christ, uh, to be comforted, to be called uh, to a transformed way of thinking about our sufferings as Christians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of a phone call or an email that you were not expecting. Uh, something uh, comes into your life that is alarming and you are completely disoriented. You don't know what to do. You're totally unsettled. You were not expecting it. And it feels like you're in a, uh, some kind of a washing machine where you're tumbling around and you need some kind of orientation. You need some way to, to map out what to do next and how to handle what you are going through. Peter is going to give us a a map, a navigational system in some way to help Christians who are going through what he calls a fiery trial to have an orientation and know where they're going and how to encounter and interpret their sufferings as Christians. Uh, This may be too old a reference for some of us uh, kids, but when I was being raised, when we went on uh, road trips... We would get maps, real paper maps, not on an iPhone. And we would start to chart out where we were going. I loved getting in the car and looking at the map and saying, let's go on this road and not on that road. Let's, let's orient ourselves this way and head this direction. And, of course, if you left back then before there were GPSs, you got in the car and you just started driving and you were hoping you would get where you needed to go, you would be completely lost. You would be disoriented, not knowing where you are going. And Peter wants us this evening, when the Lord is going to call us as Christians to walk through moments of profound suffering, to know how to handle that, to know how to open up the map of God's Word, to lay it over our experience so that we are not disoriented and tossed around and lost in the face of persecution. Well, what kind of persecution is Peter going to be speaking to us? I think it's a very specific thing that he's talking about. He's talking about suffering as Christians. And particularly, one of my professors in, in seminary taught us this, particularly the, the suffering that happens when, when words are spoken against us as Christians. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. When your reputation is uh, destroyed and dismantled by words, this is the kind of persecution that Peter is calling us to prepare for. Uh, uh, Not all the Christians then were burned up in some kind of actual fire. They weren't tied to a stake and and consumed with flames like martyrs, Uh, but they did have to face words, painful words, insulting words that they uh, needed an orientation of how to prepare for. So that's what we want to consider this evening. So what is the character of Christian suffering? How should we respond to it? And how can we possibly rejoice in our way through it? What is the nature of it? What's its character? How should we respond to it? And then how can we possibly rejoice on our way through it? So first I want us to consider what its character or nature is, the nature of Christian suffering suffering well first i want us to see i'm not going to organize this exactly in the the order that it is in the text i'm going to gather it under some themes here i want us to see first verses 13 and 14 that we are participating in christ's sufferings when we suffer insults for the sake of christ notice verse 13 that's what peter says rejoice insofar as you share christ's sufferings it's a koinonia, or a fellowship with Christ, a union to who He is and what He has uh, gone through. You are actually participating and connecting to your sufferings. And think about how profound a comfort this is. Again, as I mentioned in, in the services we're walking through, one of the great griefs of suffering as a believer, as a Christian, is to feel like everyone else is okay. We can even come to church, kind of put a a happy face on, and feel like I am the only one who is walking through profound sufferings. And Peter tells us, you are connected to Christ. You're participating with Christ when you face these sufferings. One very crucial difference between our sufferings and Christ's sufferings are that we will never have to face the judgment that Jesus faced for us. That's a very profound difference. We'll never have to ask as we're going to close this sermon with am I suffering because I deserve God's judicial punishment for what I have done? Am I suffering the kind of anticipations of a fiery eternal judgment in hell? If you're in Jesus you never have to ask that question. You are not participating in that aspect of Christ's sufferings but you're united to Him. You're in participation with Christ's in his sufferings. And as I introduce the second character of this particular kind of suffering is when words are spoken against us. You don't have to be a, 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 a preacher uh, out uh, and about or uh, need to have a very public vocation to have words that attack your character spoken against you. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you though, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is the kind of suffering that Peter wants us to prepare for. Blessed are you when things are spoken against you. Remember the story of Ahab and Jezebel and how they did away with Naboth. Remember the king wants the neighbor's vineyard. He covets this vineyard that's next to him. And he is totally cast down because when he offers the vineyard to Naboth uh, in exchange, he says, I'll buy you one so you can have another one, but I want the one that's right next to my palace. Uh, And Naboth says, no, I can't do this. This would be a great evil for me to sell you my vineyard. It's the the vineyard that comes from my inheritance and my family, which is part of God's promise in the Old Testament. He said, this would be a great evil. And so uh, the king starts to plot and scheme to destroy Naboth. You remember, false witnesses come, very similar to the death of Christ and to Stephen in the New Testament. Two scoundrels, it says, came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people and saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And we will face, uh, as Christians, whether it's in school or in our occupations, profound suffering uh, in terms of things being spoken against us parents if you're raising teenagers you may have experienced already some of the sufferings with christ you draw a line and say these are the things i expect of you these are the things that you need to do because you're a christian you have to live this way and your teenager says you don't love me and you're against me and i can't believe you words are spoken in that sense um, against what you are laying out what you believe and what you hold to as a Christian. Uh, teenagers, you may feel a kind of uh, uh, insult and persecution in your, your school context. If you uh, profess the name of Christ and you want to live differently in the midst of a, a context where other people are not holding on to their faith seriously, and you may be uh, mocked and reviled because of what you believe. So we see first that the character of our suffering is being united to Christ. We're not alone in our sufferings. We're participating with him. And the the kind of suffering that these Christians were called to face is the uh, spoken uh, sufferings, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. What should our response to suffering be, though? That's its character. How should we respond? And I have to say, this is the part of the sermon that was the hardest to write and to really think about. Verse 12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says this is part of the ordinary aspect of being a Christian. Uh, I have to say, when I became a pastor, I thought that it would be easier sometimes to be a Christian and to serve the Lord in the ministry, and then uh, you realize, no, you're called to suffer as a Christian. This is an ordinary aspect of your life. And I want to be cautious in speaking this way because I don't want us to be overly cynical about the Christian life. If you're wondering about uh, Christianity, you're here tonight. You don't know uh, who this Jesus is. And if you want to become a Christian, uh, the whole life of a Christian is not suffering. There is awesome privilege and glory and beauty. But I want you to be realistic about your sufferings. Not overly cynical, but realistic about what um, you are called to. You remember the classic movie, The Princess Bride? where Princess Buttercup uh, falls into the hands of this Dread Pirate Roberts, and uh, he's actually the one that she fell in love with, but this tiny little mass, for some reason, uh, hides his identity from her. And she senses that he's mocking her at one point, and she says, you mock my pain. And you remember the Dread Pirate Roberts comes back immediately, and she, he says, life is pain, princess. And then he says, anyone who says anything different is trying to sell something to you. Uh, Life is not quite that dour as a Christian. Uh, We don't want to be overly cynical about it. But we shouldn't be surprised at the trials that God sends us into as if something extraordinary or strange is happening to us. If that's the negation, if that's what we shouldn't do, notice what Peter says we should do then in response. How should we respond? Verse 13, rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. This is the part where Christians seem a little bit strange. Uh, How could we possibly enjoy something that is excruciating? How could we bear the insults against us as Christians and say, I'm excited, I'm grateful for this experience that God has sent me into. How could we celebrate and rejoice in the midst of our suffering? Celebrate, praise God for our sufferings. This is, requires an extra, extraordinary grace of the Holy Spirit. This is not natural for any of us to do. What do I do when I face that kind of disorienting experience of grief and trial? Oftentimes, complaining. Oftentimes, again, cynicism. Living in denial, trying to avoid what's going on, trying to pretend like it's not real. We, we long for comfort. We want to fit in. We want to experience and uh, avoid the, the reality of our sufferings. And Peter says, do the absolute opposite. Don't downplay it, but rejoice and celebrate in the midst of your sufferings. Remember the apostles who were persecuted and they were beaten as they were uh, proclaiming the gospel. And it says as they went out, In the book of Acts, they rejoiced for the privilege of being able to suffer for the name of Christ. What would would possibly enable you to do that? What would enable you to lean in and rejoice in your sufferings? You'd have to have hope. You'd have to know that you were headed somewhere, that you were on a destination, that this would not be your permanent future experience that you were traveling on a road, that there was a, a place on the map that you were headed that was so glorious that it would make all the suffering of this life totally worth it because one day you would taste something that was different where all pain and sorrow and sadness would be wiped away. Well, third, I want us to see a hope that endures through suffering, a hope that endures through Suffering. Verse 14, you are blessed. You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you suffer, when you're insulted, when you're persecuted, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is described as the Spirit of the age to come. When Jesus was resurrected and ascended and uh, seated, he poured out the Spirit. And heaven itself started piercing into our uh, our present time. The Holy Spirit takes us and connects us to that future. And the glory of God in the future, eternal bliss with him, starts to penetrate and captivate our hearts. And Peter's saying the way that you can face your sufferings is when you know that God is actually favoring you amazingly through them. Because it demonstrates the Holy Spirit being present with you as you suffer. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. See, we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be alone in our sufferings. We can give glory to God knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. See, the problem is often that we're living without perspective. We have our eyes just on what's immediately around us, and we we don't realize the glory of where we are headed. We don't understand the captivating beauty of what heaven will be like. And so we we, uh, separate ourselves in our sufferings, and we experience profound shame. Let them not be ashamed, he says, verse 16. Sam Storms writes very helpfully about the shame that's often found in suffering. Those in shame have a tendency to hide, to create walls of protection behind which they hunker down and hope no one will see. They're terrified that their true self will be seen and known and rejected, so they put on a false face, the a personality, or other traits they think others will find acceptable. They're convinced that if someone were to see them for who they really are, they'd be repulsed or disappointed. Peter says to you tonight as a Christian, you don't need to be ashamed when you suffer together in a participation with Christ. It is actually the demonstration that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory and of God, rests upon you. This is the great mystery that Paul wrote about in the beginning of Colossians. To them God chose to make known how great Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what will enable you to actually rejoice? What will give you the power not to be disoriented and not to be unsettled by your sufferings? Well, Peter was writing to a congregation very much like us. He wrote to them, remember, in the first chapter, and he said, one of the problems, as I write to you, is that you have not yet seen Jesus. Though you have not seen him, he says, chapter 1, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Glory how is the glory that is so worth it as you walk through this season of suffering as a Christian, how is that glory accomplished? How do we know for certain that we are headed there and that it will not be kept from us, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading and kept for us and us for it? How do you know for certain that God will bring you all the way to that glory? See, Jesus' sufferings, as I said earlier, are truly unique in that on a cross, he faced the eternal judicial punishment for every single thing that you have done that's truly wrong. Peter tells us, don't suffer as a meddler or someone who's committed murder or as a thief. And that's true. We should not uh, clearly uh, suffer in those ways But even when we have failed the Lord, the judicial punishment, the payment for our sins is not ever something that we will have to face. The fiery trial is never uh, a, a, a judgment of God's wrath against us. And the Lord Christ bore our sins as we read today and carried our sorrows. He bore the load that you deserved He was mocked with the insults that you would deserve in yourself and the father turns his face away from his son so that you can be included and rescued and loved and protected for eternity how do you know for sure that you will be kept for glory that all of the sufferings of this present life will not compare with that glory that is to be revealed See, Christ has faced what you should have faced and he's purchased what you need. Everything that is necessary to bring you to himself has been done. All of your sins were accounted to Christ and he faced all that you deserve. See, again, we tend to think I am somehow this rare and unique person no one has ever had to go through the horrors of what I have experienced. And yet the Bible tells us very clearly, He has borne the worst possible sufferings for us and for our salvation. And so as you bask in that grace of God for you, you're enabled to say, I have a different perspective on my sufferings. God has loved me and preserved me and will keep me all the way through to the end and he's done everything necessary to have me as his child and while it's very very hard it's it's difficult for me to to get up and and declare god's call to you tonight to rejoice in the midst of your sufferings you can do that by the power of the gospel at work in you as christ is in us tonight and by the power of the holy spirit he is your hope of glory may you put your full rest and trust and confidence in him as he calls you to walk the road of suffering as a Christian. And may that be your whole peace and future. And may you know that the spirit of God, the spirit of glory rests on you when you face the sufferings of this present age. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we live in a relatively comfortable place in the world, and yet we're not distanced, Lord, from acute sufferings. Jesus, you said that you uh, would cause family members to turn one against another, uh, that we would be uh, persecuted and reviled. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness uh, to shine as lights in a dark age, that you would uh, give us the joy to speak the gospel even while we're suffering, Lord, to be a strange people rejoicing in the midst of the fiery trial not surprised or unsettled. And Lord, would you lay this map of Peter's instruction over the very confusing terrain of our sufferings, Lord, and orient us toward the glory of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done everything necessary to purchase us an inheritance, to give yourself to us eternally. And Lord, please uh, give us the perseverance and the hope to continue walking this road, uh, which is for now a veil of tears and will eternally be joy and everlasting uh, satisfaction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Dear people of God, He puts His name on you and blesses you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance on you and give you His peace. Amen.